0: It really is a privilege to be here with you guys today. And um, I'm honored to uh, jump into this series. But before I do, can you please give it up for your pastors, Pastor Stan and Joyce? <laughs> Come on, you have amazing pastors. And, and also, while we're at it, let's give it up from the team and everybody that's serving here today. Um, because great leadership reproduces itself, another great leadership. And you're seeing so many people around here serving, helping make a difference. They got here early. Uh, man, and I really understand how much uh, those people mean around this church. So for everybody that serves here, come on, give it up for those that are serving, helping make a difference, back in sound, all that great stuff, and all, all across the building. Um, but I will say this, uh, I'm honored to be a part of this series, uh, but especially as you guys are going through your core values, I think that's so important to do because it's the basis, it's the foundation of who you guys are and how you how you've built. And um, I'm honored to talk about faith uh, because it's one of your core values. I like to think that we are people of faith. Um, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. That takes faith, y'all. I'm telling you. I am a man of great faith and pain. and um, uh, But uh, faith is really what's built of this church. And so in your top 10 core values and your core fabric, I want to read the core fabric or the core value of faith just so we can make sure we're all on the same page. In our understanding, it says this. We believe our faith in God compels us to take well-planned, aggressive visionary steps to present the message of Jesus Christ regardless of the risk involved. I like that last little addendum there. Regardless of the risk involved because this really isn't my message, but it's kind of related that when you take steps of faith, it almost always feels like a risk. And I love that you're a church that has a philosophy that kind of says, we're going to trust Jesus. We're going to go for it. We're going to step out anyway. I can't quite see it. I don't quite know what the results are going to be. We're going to trust and we're going to believe. I love that's a part of your core Fabric. So I'm honored today to talk to you about faith. Let's pray. Lord, I give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. I pray that you would help me to preach this word today. Father, I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but Lord, that it would be yours. And I pray that hearts and minds would be open to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen. I love that faith is at the corporate level. It's at the top. You guys are talking about being a church of faith. But the truth is, a church, even though this is a beautiful building, isn't a building. A church is the people which are in the building. So you guys are the church. And so for this being a part of your core fabric, that means this church, its leaders are speaking vision into you that if this church is to be a church of vision, what that really means that everybody in this room, we have the opportunity to be people of vision and faith. And so I pray today that as we move forward, with this message that we feel compelled to be faithful people, people that are full of faith. How many of you guys are full from breakfast this morning? Come on, isn't it? Man, it looked amazing. I'm telling you. But I'm sure everybody in this room, you have that meal that it's your go-to meal, right? It's the meal that if you could pick any meal that it makes you full, but you want to be the appropriate level of full. You know you know what full I'm talking about? You don't want to be coma full, right? You want to be right on the verge of the food coma, but not actually fall into the coma. You want to be able to drive home after you've eaten said meal. It might might be something your mom cooked or your grandma cooked. It might be something that you cook, but everybody has that like favorite meal. I, I can think back to a time when I was most shocked by a meal that would fill me up and almost fill me with the presence of God. That's how good it was meal. It was like pastor Stan talked about. It was about a month of us moving on to the executive team at this church in Houston. And the pastor that hired us said, Hey, let's go, let's go to a barbecue restaurant and I have always wanted to try Texas barbecue. It's, I'm telling you, we lived there for a long time. It is just different. I don't know if Ohio has good barbecue. I'm sure you do, but Texas will win. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not declaring that over you, but it probably is true. Anyway, and so I was looking forward to it. So we were driving, said, hey, we're going to go to this restaurant. And I was like, hallelujah to the lamb. Let's go. And so in my head, I was thinking brisket like like the brisket that just pulls apart. Come on, somebody, right? Or I was thinking ribs. I was going through all the things that I was gonna have and really partake in this well-sought after Houston barbecue restaurant. We sit down, he orders, a, he orders an appetizer and it's good. He said, what are you thinking about getting? So I tell him things I'm thinking about getting. He's like, you don't wanna order that. And I said, I don't want brisket? Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't want ribs. I, this is a barbecue. What else am I going to get? He said, you want to get the pork chop. I said, pastor, I'm, I'm called to serve here. Uh, I'm called to follow your leadership, but I'm questioning my decision to work on staff here. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you would suggest to me that I come to a barbecue place in Texas in order A pork chop. It's like, you see those, you know, when you like go to Walmart in like the grocery section and they're like that thin and you really, by the time you bite into one, you're like, I'm going to feed it to the dog. I don't want a pork chop if I'm going to a barbecue place. Like, come on. Like, I don't know that you're the leader that I thought you were. I was questioning this man in this moment, but he was pushing. You got to have the pork chop. And I was like, Pastor, I don't want a pork chop. You got to, I was like, okay. I am a man submitted to leadership so so what I'll do it didn't take this much coaxing but I'll say okay if you think I need to try the pork chop I will follow your lead and I will get the pork chop and what they brought to my table shocked me because this is what the pork chop looked like right if you've never spoken in tongues take one bite of that thing and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit it's over You will walk out of there praising the Lord in ways you never had before. That is a three-in-one pork chop. That tastes like a pork chop, and then you get to the middle of the pork chop, and then it's pulled pork. You can just take a spoon, and it shreds apart, and then you get to the edge, and it's pork ribs. Hallelujah to the lamb who created a pork (laughs) chop like that. And to all the vegans in the room, I'm sorry, but this is why we can't go your direction, because that exists on the planet. (laughs) But I support your healthy choice, hallelujah. (laughs) But it was so filling. I was so full. And you know what? That's a little bit of a joke, but God wants us to be that full of faith. He wants us to be a church and he wants us to be people who are faith full. When you study the gospels, New Testament and Old Testament, you see one thing that moves the heart of God unlike any other, and that is faith. There's two times in the New Testament specifically where the Bible says that Jesus was amazed. How many of you would like to know what actually would be powerful enough to amaze Jesus? Like, I'm easily amazed. It doesn't take, like if the Vikings win a football game, I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, Lord, it happened that you're really here. You know, we get amazed by a lot of things, but for Jesus to be amazed, Considering who he is, somebody that created the planet with the word, I want to know what amazes him. And scripture says what amazes him twice in the New Testament were both directly connected to faith. The first time that Jesus was amazed, he was amazed by great faith. It's the moment where the centurion makes his way to Jesus in Matthew chapter eight. And this centurion comes to Jesus because his servant is sick. And he knows that Jesus has the ability to heal his servant. So this Roman guard makes his way to Jesus and Jesus was always surrounded by his followers. But for a Roman centurion, to come to Jesus and in essence, ask for a favor, the people surrounding Jesus, it did not matter what he would ask, the people surrounding Jesus were hoping that he would say no, no matter what it is, just say no, don't do it. Because Rome was an occupying nation and we don't like people to occupy us, right? It would have been the equivalent of like a German guard going to a Polish civilian asking for a favor. It's like, I'm not not doing anything for the Germans in 1943, right? Back in the day when they were occupied by the Germans. The answer is no, but Jesus is entertaining this. And not only is Jesus entertaining it, but Jesus does something that would have astounded the crowd. And we pick up the story in Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. Says this, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell this one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed And said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. That is a bit of a shock to the crowd where Jesus says, I've not found anyone in Israel with this kind of faith. And I am elevating the faith of a Roman. They would have been like, oh, my goodness. No, he did not. Just say that to us right now. But here's what Jesus was really saying. Jesus was saying the type of faith that this man has, I want all of Israel to have. And what type of faith was that? This man was all in on who Jesus was. He recognized his supremacy. He recognized his authority. He recognized his power. He recognized that Jesus was unlike anybody else that the world has ever seen. And this is somebody who was a leader. And this is somebody who commanded men. And this is somebody that commanded people. And he realized that this isn't a normal person, that this is somebody who sits a above everybody else. And he said to Jesus, I recognize who you are. And Jesus, in essence, was saying through the faith of the Roman, every one of you needs to see me for who I am too. You all need to recognize that I'm higher, that I am supreme, that I don't exist as a normal man, that there is supernatural entity to me and power to me that you can't find anywhere else on planet earth. And we want all Israel to go in on it. And what I love about what this Man told Jesus. He told Jesus, I don't need anything more from you than your word. The word of God is all we need. He said, I trust you at your word, to the degree that when Jesus says, Okay, let's go to your house, give me a servant. I will heal him. He says, I don't even need you to go. This is one of the, this is probably the only, not that I could find, the only miracle in the New Testament where somebody's healed and Jesus wasn't physically in the room. Why? Because the centurion had great faith and he trusted his word. He says, if you will do this thing for me, I don't even need you to come with me. If you'll just say it, that's all I need to know because I am somebody that has authority. And I tell people go here and I tell people go there and I don't even wonder if they're gonna do it. And what I see in you is greater than the authority that I have. So if you're telling me in front of all these people and you'll listen to a Roman, if you'll tell me that my servant will be healed I can go on my way. I can go to Bob Evans and get a pot pie and just go on with my life. I don't need anything more than just your word. And that's the crux of faith. It is the point in our lives where we say, God, your word is enough for me. Can I get an amen from the church that believes that God's word is enough? I love scripture when it talks about people's interaction with Jesus. Jesus was never amazed at people's intellect. Jesus never got around somebody and somebody was talking and having a conversation and Jesus never went, "Ooh, that's good, I'm gonna write that down and tell that, tell that to my disciples. That was such dizzying intellect. Jesus was never amazed by anybody's talent and there were talented people all around Jesus. Jesus never commented and be like, man, that guy can shoot a jumper like nobody I've ever seen. He can drive a golf ball 350 yards down the fairway. And if you can, can you talk to me and give me a lesson because your boy needs help. I need I need the Lord when it comes to that. He was never amazed at somebody's talents and talents are good and intellect is good, but it didn't amaze him. Jesus was never amazed by anybody's pedigree. He never said, wow, because you come from this family and because you come from affluence and influence, it's amazing to me and it's impressive to me. None of these things move Jesus. But do you want to know what I've noticed in the 20, almost 25 years that we've been a pastor? These are some of the things that people cite as reasons why they cannot step out in faith. They don't feel like they have the intellect. They don't feel like they have the talent. They don't feel like they have the pedigree. Can I tell you something today? You may not be the most talented. You may not come from the the right side of the tracks, but you don't need any of that. What you need is faith in Jesus, and it will ascend you to places that you will never go. So you may not have all the talents and the gifts in the world, and that does not mean that God cannot and does not want to use you. He was never impressed by any of that stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. All those things are useful, Use them for the kingdom. Use your intellect to build the kingdom. Use your talents to build the kingdom. If you got the pedigree, use that to build the kingdom. If you don't have the pedigree, use it as a testimony to say, look where I came from and look where God took me. Use all these things to build the kingdom. But those aren't the things that amazed him. The second time that Jesus was amazed is antithetical to the first. First, he was moved by great faith. And the second time that he was amazed, he was amazed by little faith. There's a story when Jesus comes back home after his ministry began, he's out there doing signs, wonders, miracles, teaching, preaching, lives are being changed. You would think when Jesus came home, that people would be, let's have a parade because the hometown hero's here. He's here, let's give him a rousing round of applause but that's not at all what happens. This story picks up in Mark chapter six, verses one through three and verse six it says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Okay, get the tone here. They're not like, wow, where is this wisdom? They're like, really with this guy? Really, where did this come from? You see more detail here. And they go, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? and they took offense at him. So they were kind of like, wait a minute, this guy's, isn't this little JJ from back in the day? Isn't this the guy who fixed my table? Isn't this the guy that repaired my chair when it broke down? This guy's no big deal. We see his family all the time. One of the worst things you can ever do is try to make Jesus common. Jesus is never common. If you try to make Jesus common, this is how you'll approach Jesus. This guy is no big deal. And I'm telling you, there's no bigger deal in the universe than Jesus. In verse six, come on, let's give it up for Jesus. In verse six is the second time we see this. It says, and Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. I don't want Jesus to be amazed by my lack of faith. Like I don't want him to go, you know what? That is an impressive level of lack of faith. I didn't even think you could doubt that much. Kudos to you. Well done. I didn't even think a human being can get there. So if we're comparing and contrasting in what moved Jesus's faith and it was great faith or little faith, I I say, let's lean into the former. Let's be people who are known for great faith and not a lack of faith. And I love that this is a part of your fabric. So, how does somebody become a faithful person? Well, it starts by asking a couple questions. What is faith? Webster's definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Another way to say it is this faith always has an object. Faith always has an object, someone or something I put my complete and trust in. If you look in the world today, if you look at secular philosophy, faith kind of feels like somebody who's really positive all the time. You're like, man, they're just a faith filled person. They're really positive and there's nothing wrong with being positive. We think of faith as optimism and there's nothing wrong with being optimistic. We think of faith as just being hope. But here's the thing, I don't have faith in hope. And I don't have faith in optimism. And I don't have faith in in positivity. Those are not the object of our faith. The object of our faith Is Jesus, And out of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and the promises that he's made to us and the gap in the chasm that was closed because of Jesus being the object of my faith, out of him comes hope, out of him comes positivity, out of him comes optimism because I know I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I don't have faith in me. I don't have faith in my call. I have faith in my calling that comes from Jesus. I have hope that comes from Jesus. I'm optimistic because of who he is. The creator of the world lets us have access to him. I don't care what you're facing today. There is hope and there is hope in Jesus. That he is the object of our faith. That's where we set our sights. Jesus wasn't amazed at the centurion's optimism. Jesus wasn't amazed at the centurion's hope that his servant could be healed. Jesus was amazed that this man recognized and went all in on who Jesus was. That he was willing to come to a Rome, that he was willing to come to a Jewish rabbi and say to a Jewish rabbi publicly, I believe you're the authority and not Rome. I believe you are supreme and not my government. For a Roman centurion to place that kind of identification of authority would have been staggering at that time. And that's what moved Jesus saying, you've got to be all in on me as the object of your faith. And that's what amazed Jesus with this Roman centurion. He says, he sees that I am the object of his faith. So because of it, he wasn't confident and hopeful and assured in anything else But Jesus. And that's why when you study in Hebrews chapter 11, the first verse, it talks about faith. And it gives it a scriptural definition. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What do we hope for? Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Are we assured because of it? Yes. Even if Jesus calls us to do things we cannot see, we trust him. And the context of Hebrews 11 is all faith. And if you read the next 39 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, all you see are people that stepped out in faith and stepped out in faith. and stepped out in faith, and some got great results, and some didn't see any results, but the people that got no results had the same amount of faith as the people that got great results, because having faith isn't contingent upon outcomes. Having faith is contingent upon the object of our faith, and the object of our faith is always who? His name is Jesus. I love that. So what we see here is that Faith is having total and complete confidence in someone or something. Faith has an object, the object of Jesus. The next thing we have to see about faith is this is that faith, once we see who our faith is in, will always require action. Faith requires action. Can I get an amen from the church or or a squirm? <laughs> Cuz that's where it gets difficult. James says this in James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, If you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, hashtag, ouch. (laughs) Can that kind of faith save anybody? Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and it's useless. Verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see his faith and his actions worked together, and his actions made his faith complete. Now, James is a man of faith, because James, as we just read earlier, is the brother of Jesus. How much faith would you have to have in your brother for your brother to ever convince you that he is the son of God? If my brother came to me and said, John, I gotta give you some good news. Okay, brother, let me hear it. I'm actually the son of God. That's (laughs) yeah, that's that's cute. Yeah, okay, okay. I I know you're not the son of God because I put you in a headlock yesterday and you couldn't miraculously get out of it. I know your mom, bro. There is no way that you are the son of God. It's impossible. I'm never gonna believe that about I love you, my man. I love you. But I'm not going there. I knew you were off in the head. That's what we think about our brothers anyway. I knew your brain wasn't working. But now I know for sure that you clearly have brain damage. It might be from the headlock and the lack of oxygen. The only thing, okay, you want me to believe in you? I'll believe in you if you ever raise from the dead. That's it. That's the only way I'm believing in you. And then Jesus like, oh, he's like. I believe, I believe you rose from the dead. So this is somebody that is a man of great faith. And what James is telling us here is he's saying to be faithful means you can't be static. We can't be static people or still people or actionless people and see our faith come to life. The centurion moved to Jesus. Faith requires that we take action steps. It's not just believing something that's good. Let me ask you this, if all you had to do was believe and agree everything you've ever read about health and nutrition to be healthy and to get like a six pack, everybody in this room, if that's all it took was to believe and agree, everybody, this church would be walking abs, everybody, everywhere you go would have a six pack. If all I have to do is believe it, but I don't have to eat celery but I don't have to go to the gym, but I don't have to count my calories and I don't have to cut down on McDonald's and ice cream, all I have to do is agree with the information and believe it, boom, everybody would be in shape. No, you have to take the information and apply it. If all I had to do was get rich is believe Dave Ramsey, everybody would be rich. If all I had to do was go, Dave Ramsey is right. He is correct and what he's saying is 100% Accurate. If all I have to do is believe him, that everybody would have investments, everybody would have a stock 401k, everybody would be diversified, you'd be investing future forward, you'd have dividend payments coming into your life. If all I had to do was agree with Dave Ramsey, but then I turn around and I keep racking up debt and I have bad spending habits, and every time something comes up, I buy it. If none of those things had to change, everybody'd be rich. It's not just the information, it's the application. Faith isn't just the information. Then it turns into application that we have to apply this and move forward with who Jesus is because we've been asked so many times in our ministry, how do, I, how do I get my faith to grow? Pastor, hook me up. How do I get my faith to grow? And this is something that my wife and I have said for years, which is this. Faith grows when our action intersects with God's faithfulness. When our action intersects with God's faithfulness. We are faithful when we see that he's faithful. Because when I'm full of faith and I step out, I will see the faithfulness of God. Can I tell you something that I have been moved by and inspired by? is the history of risky steps that CLC has taken over the years. Faith-filled, step out, Let's see what God does. Let's see if God moves. Let's do it anyway. Risky steps because we believe Jesus is the object of our faith. I was talking to Pastor Stan about this, kind of getting some of the background of the church, and I was just like writing this stuff down, going, man, I need more faith, hallelujah, (laughs) because of the things that has happened here. One of the things I really loved was back in 1980, CLC was just a 12-year-old church with just a few hundred people, and they made this decision to try to take a crazy faith step and to buy 30-something acres on a freeway to believe that God could reach people in ways that they never had before. And as we were talking, I heard in order to make this a reality, it wasn't just agreeing that it's a good idea. It was people selling their houses. It was people taking out second mortgages. People selling off assets so that the kingdom of God could be built in the area, in the place that you're sitting today. It's a part of your past and it's definitely gonna be a part of your future that if you're here, you've gotta be challenged unlike any other place to be people that are people of faith. And because that faith step took place, you were then able to take other faith steps. The impact that CLC has had locally is unbelievable. Other faith steps include, and I know you've talked about this just recently, but I want to bring it up again funding the Victory Project that helps students make their way out of poverty. You may not get the faith step in it, we're like, that's a good idea. No, when you initially invest in ministries like this, you're not quite sure where that dollar is going to go. You don't know if that dollar is going to have velocity, and it's going to go where you want it to go. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, but the step was taken, and now this is the byproduct. Lives are changed because a step was taken to see your money, your giving your influence move into other people's lives. Also, I loved hearing about your local impact and your investment in Good Shepherd Ministry, investing in people to help them with their addictions. You don't know exactly how a ministry like that's going to go when you begin to invest in it. You hope it's going to go good. You believe it's going to go good, but it's a bit of a risk. And now the byproduct is people's lives being changed and seeing God move, but it does not happen outside of action. It's not just believing it's a good idea that people are not addicted. It's somebody going, we're going to do something about it because our hope is in Jesus. And Jesus always commands his people to go, go into the world and make a difference. But the impact that you've had, the risks that you take, don't stop locally they also expanded nationally. Pastor talked about it a minute ago our connection's been through the Church of Multiplication Network. That is an organization that believes that there needs to be a life-giving church in every community because Jesus is the hope of every single community. But when you give to something like that, you're hoping that you're giving to people that their churches are going to take root and they're going to grow, but you don't know for sure. And now CMN has literally launched over 25, 2800 churches in just the last 10 years in America alone because of your investment and because of your giving, your your investment in mercy multiplied, invests in trafficking. We all know and believe that trafficking is a bad idea. Can I get an amen? We don't want people trafficked. But the faith step is to say, we're going to support it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have you pray about it. It's not just believing. It's taking action. And one of the most amazing things that I've heard the steps that you've taken started back in 2007. You started one ICBC church in Africa. It's one thing to invest locally. It's one thing to invest nationally. It's another thing to invest internationally because you don't know how your money is going to be used overseas. You don't know the first time you take that step. If you don't have culture down, if you don't have inroads down, if you don't have connections solidified yet, it's all a gigantic step of faith. That started back in 2007. And now there's 32 churches in Africa, 850 kids sponsored. These kids are fed and educated and meals are provided. You're you're training pastors in Vietnam. These are faith steps. This is faith in action. When God told my wife and I, I don't know if I, did I even introduce you guys in the beginning? I just moved on. It's my wife, Pastor Priscilla, my daughter, Larissa. They're with me today. Come on, give it up for my family, y'all. When God spoke to us about planting the church in Las Vegas, we're on the executive team of a, frankly, it's a Texas megachurch, 10,000 plus people. And when it comes to church jobs, that was a good one. (laughs) When it comes to just security, and the ability for them, they were taking care of us. And, and my son was born in Houston and my daughter really took some of her most formative steps there. We have a community there. There's people that we are leading. We're having the opportunity to influence thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And you're in a groove. And then God come and says, hey, I want you to plant a church in Las Vegas. And we kind of went, did you say Dallas? <laughs> did you say Dallas where I could still get the barbecue? See how I tied it back? Anyway. Clearly I'm hungry. Uh, (laughs) Did you see Las Vegas, Lord? Have you seen Las Vegas? Do you know what goes on there? It's called Sin City. Like, Lord, did you get that wrong? Do you see where we are? But here's here's the thing with faith. Sometimes you have to leave behind what is for what can be. And we had to wrestle with that. And so we went through a season of wrestling like, I don't think the Lord was right. I think we're right. And our security is good and I like where I live and I like where my kids go to school. All the things we think about, right? Especially guys, when it comes to taking care of our families, that we want to make sure our family is good. We, we care about our families. And so you're taking the step that feels like you're putting your family at risk. And then you've got to go, what's the object of my faith? Is it me and my ability to create income and finance or is it in Jesus? And so Lord, okay, I'm going to put my trust in you and me and my wife are talking and we're like, what are we going to do? And, and we're starting to kind of like leak the information out. We didn't want to be full on crazy with it and be like, we're going to plant a church in Vegas. And are like, whoa, what did you just take? Why would you do that? No one was interested. They're like, you go have fun with that. You, sh- you should go do that and enjoy it. And like, you don't want to come? No, okay. I, I, don't, I don't blame you. And we're like, man, we're not getting much traction with this thing. And we came to the conclusion, the only way to make this thing real, the only thing that we can do is we have to resign. We have to come to the edge of the faith cliff and you have to step off it. We go through, have the meeting, we take the leap, we resign. And it, and it was, babe, it was almost immediately that we took the step. People started saying, God called me and told me to move you guys to Las Vegas. I was like, are you crazy? I mean, amen, hallelujah. Praise the Lord God Jehovah who reigns on high. You know, it's, People started giving money because it was going to take a little over $200,000 to plant this church in Las Vegas. Money started coming in in places we expected. It started coming in in places that we did not expect. We get on the ground in Las Vegas. It's kind of weird to walk up to somebody that you've never met and they're like, what are you doing in Vegas? We're here to start a church. And they're like, okay, that's weird. I'm like, I know a little bit. You want to help? No. Okay. Through relationships, God would set up these divine encounters for us to meet people. And like, we're looking for a church and we're like, well, good thing is we're going to start one. You want to be a part of it? They're like, sure, let's go. Then all of a sudden our launch day comes and it kind of blew our minds because we were hoping that maybe 50, 60, 70 people might come. We have hundreds of people that show up on our launch day. Since then, hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus. We've seen people baptized more than we thought would ever be possible. We've seen people take steps in their faith. People who are called to ministry step out into ministry. People leave and step out into ministry opportunities and go to the mission field. We've seen people healed. We've seen families restored. We've seen chains broken off. Is it because we're talented? Is it because we're smart? Is it because of those things? No, it was we trusted the object of our faith that said, if you will step, I will make meet you when you step and that is what faith is here's the last thing and I'm going to wrap it up what amazed Jesus also about the centurion's faith is the centurion had faith for somebody else he didn't come to Jesus and say man, man I sprained my back playing pickleball can you heal me he, he say, Lord, I've got these bunions, man. I've had them since 1987. Lord, can you, can you hook a brother up? Can you heal me here, Lord? Lord, Lord, I've had migraines. He didn't come for himself. He took a faith step for somebody else. And when it really comes down to faith, you'll learn something the longer you're a Christian. It's about me, but it can't be all about me. It's about me, but it can't be all about me. Why? because the object of our faith didn't make it all about him. He made it all about other people. So for you, your faith step today, it may not be God's telling you to go to Las Vegas to plant a church. It may be, and if so, call me, I'll help you. But it might be something simpler. It might be the Lord's been talking to you about joining a group right here at CLC and you feel a little uncomfortable, maybe you're introverted by nature and you're like, I don't want to go into a new space. And if you're introverted by nature, there can be some anxiety with that. But you felt the Holy Spirit saying, trust me, take a step. I'm the object in your faith, of your faith. Don't listen to your anxiety. Listen to me. Maybe it's as simple as joining a group here at CLC. Maybe it's starting a group the next time that there's groups to be started. Maybe it's something as simple as inviting that coworker or that neighbor to church. I don't know if you know this, but the statistics still still bear this out. 86% of people that come to church aren't invited by a pastor, wasn't hit by creative marketing. They were invited by a friend and they make their way into church and they hear the gospel and their family changes. Maybe it's something simple as starting that business that the Lord asked you to start. Maybe the Lord wants you to run for office and be a biblically Valued based individual because how many of you know we need that in America more than we've ever needed it In any time in the past people that have biblical values and find themselves in places of authority I don't know what your step is but all I know is you need to take a step why? it's the core fabric of who you are as a church step out risky go for it let's see what happens let's trust Jesus type of faith Can we stand to our feet as we're going to close? Here's what I want us to do. I know the Holy Spirit speaking to some of you. Some of you have big steps that he wants you to take. Some of you have small steps. We're We're not here to compare steps. That's not the point of it. Don't ever judge the value of what God's trying to do to you, comparing the step that somebody else took compared to yours. Because you don't know where that step's going to take you. So just take a step. The band's going to lead us in a song. It's called Give Me Faith. And here's what I'm going to ask you to consider as we've sing the song. You may have never heard this song before or you may know the song. If you've never heard the song before, the words are going to be on the screen. Make it your prayer today. Make it your prayer that if you're struggling with your faith, that God would help you with it, a faith that amazes him today. If you're doing good, I pray that it motivates you and inspires you to take more steps of faith. Keep taking them. If you're doing good, doesn't mean check out of this message. I would lean back into God and go, okay, God, what else do you have for me? Because guess what? If there's air in your lungs, there's always more. God's not done with you. I don't care if you're 18 or 88. God is not done with you, sir. And God is not done with you. You're not done at all taking faith steps. I don't know where you land today. We all need to process and consider another step. So as the band leads us in this song, let's engage God and pray that God will show you what's next. And some of you already know, and I pray he gives you the strength to do it. Let's worship God for just another moment.
1: Your love is great
0: I say this: the other reason that my faith can't be in circumstances, situations and other people is because sometimes when you take faith steps, it doesn't always look like it's going well. Sometimes you take the steps and you're like, "Uh, Lord, what are we doing here?" <laughs> because we had a great launch, but we also had seasons where we had to battle through and rebuild, get through a pandemic. It doesn't matter what we face. Our faith always drives us forward. And you may be in a season right now, and this is why I'm saying it, and I'm gonna close, that you feel like you took a faith step and you feel like it didn't produce or yield the results you were hoping for yet. That doesn't mean that the step was wrong. And it doesn't mean that the object of our faith has ever wavered. He's still worthy and he's still trustworthy. And as Christians, sometimes we have to have a little grit to us and keep pressing and keep going and keep believing even though it hasn't happened yet. Abraham had to put his son on the altar. He raised the knife like, Lord, you better come through. That looks like it's failing until God comes through. So if you're here today and you're in the middle and you feel like you took a faith step and you're frustrated, I'll say I get it, but I'll say keep trusting, my friend, because He is faithful. So if you're here today, I want to pray for two people and we're going to close. If you're here and you know there's a faith step that you need to take, and you say, Pastor, when you pray in a moment, would you pray for me? It might be big, it might be small, but you know there's a step you need to take. Say, Pastor, when you pray, would you pray for me? Just raise a hand real quick or yeah, say I want to be included in that prayer. Yeah, all over the room. That's awesome. Y'all can put your hands down. I say y'all a lot. Sorry, Texas, just go with it. Um, But maybe you're here today and the faith step that you need to take is you need to actually trust Jesus with your life. Maybe somebody brought you here and you came for the breakfast or you got invited because you're doing something afterwards, but God divinely set you up to to be here today to hear that you need to take a a faith step and trust Jesus with your life. You need to have faith to believe that what Jesus said about you is true, which is that he did go to the cross for you, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can have purpose and hope and direction, not because we believe in purpose, hope and direction, but we believe Jesus gives us purpose, hope and direction. If you're here today and you know it's time to give Him your life. Or maybe you've been far from Him and it's time for you to come home. Say, Pastor, when you pray for that, would you pray for me? You can just real quick, just just shoot a hand if it's one or the other. Just wave. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I got you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I got you. 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 So here's what we're going to do. I'd like to pray for the people that just raised their hand first. And then we're gonna come back and pray for everybody else that raised their hand for the face step. And I want us to all pray together if that's okay. Reason being is I remember when I gave my life to Jesus and I was so grateful that I had somebody pray with me. And these people that just raised their hands, they're your family, right? It's family that we don't want them doing life by themselves. So let's pray with them. Especially if you've never prayed before and you don't know what to pray, here's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and it's not about the words, it's not a secret elixir or a magic potion. Repeat what I say, where the glory happens, if you will, is when you mean it with your heart. What, what are you meaning? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he can and wants to forgive you. So I'm gonna pray. Let's all pray together so they're not praying by themselves. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I give you every part of me. I put my faith in you today. And I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Would you guide me? Would you direct me? Give me a hope, purpose, and a future. Today, I declare you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give it up for all the people that prayed the prayer and for Jesus. And I wanna pray for the myriad of people who raise their hands because you have a faith step. Can we do this? Can we raise our hands to heaven, especially those that took this faith step? Father, right now in your name, the name that is above every name, you are the object of our faith and the source of our hope and the source of our power. And Lord, I pray this morning, this afternoon, God, I pray today as they take their faith step, that you would intersect with them and you will show them that this is the step that needed to be taken. That somebody today, Lord, needs boldness. They need help. They need confidence. Lord, whatever the need may be, God, I pray that you would help them. Holy Spirit, come alongside them, partner with them. And I pray that the enemy would wanna come in and to keep them from taking a step The enemy wants to eliminate the step forward because he knows it's going to lead to another step which is going to lead to another step, which is going to lead to another step, which is going to lead to a lifetime of steps. So Lord, I pray against the enemy right now, and I elevate your name, your presence, your power above all of it. I pray that huge steps of faith will be taken in this church by people and as a church corporately going into the future to make a difference in Dayton, in America, and all around the world in Jesus' name. And everybody said as loud as you can, "Amen." amen and amen. One last thing I'll say, if you took that step to make Jesus your Savior, I'm going to invite you to meet somebody in the Welcome Center. Go there. They want to resource you, answer any questions you might have about what your next steps at CLC looks like. God bless you. Have a phenomenal Sunday and be blessed.